Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 221 and this episode is with Andy Gard. Andy's the head of sports science at Atlanta United Football Club. We spoke about a number of different topics on this episode. We spoke about moving between club and national team roles. We spoke about some of the unique challenges that he faces in the MLS over in the States we talked about working with a squad that's a multicultural squad with different experiences on sports science. We also touched on some uses of data in club and national team to support players as well, where he focuses his priorities in terms of data as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. This crosses over into some really key topics that we've covered in previous episodes as well. And it was great to have Andy on the podcast. Just before we get into the episode, I just want to make you aware of our upcoming networking event at Huddersfield Town on Tuesday the 31st of January, 6 till 9pm. We've got three brilliant speakers, Paul Bauer, Head of Physical Performance at the club, Luke Dobson, Head of Academy Physical Performance at Huddersfield, and also Callum Adams, Head of Strength at Huddersfield, all presenting around the alignment of development and performance in professional football. So three great presentations from the guys that are going to be coming at the event. Thank you to everybody that has purchased a ticket so far for the event. As this podcast goes out, there is just under a week left of tickets at the early bird price. So if you want to attend the event, go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, go on to networking events, and you'll be able to purchase your ticket there. Also, thank you to everybody that has left us a iTunes review recently. We've now got 64 reviews. I want to try and get that to 100 as soon as possible. So if you haven't left us an iTunes review, please head over and do so. Click the five stars. Just leave us a short comment. Possibly the podcast that you've enjoyed the most, the guests you've enjoyed the most, the topic you might have enjoyed the most. It's a short comment. I would really appreciate it. We ran a few polls as well on our social media just to see where you guys are listening or consuming the the podcast. And the majority is actually on Spotify. So if you are on Spotify, if you're listening on Spotify, we've got 36 five stars over on Spotify. I want to grow that as well. Let's try and get that to 100 as soon as we can. There was plenty of you that replied on the polls. So if you've not clicked the five stars on Spotify, pause the podcast right now. Click the five stars for us. You don't even need to leave a written review on Spotify. I really would appreciate it. Just finally, before we get into the episode, a massive thank you to our sponsors. Hytro, have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. So you can check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com or email Warren, that's Dr. Warren Bradley, on warren at hydro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. And also, just finally, a huge thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle. 
They recently posted about swank, swanky new offices in Manchester, which I'm, I'm absolutely delighted for the guys over there. Make sure you go and check them out on socials at Rezzle. And let's get into episode 221 with Andy Gard. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 221. I'm delighted to welcome on to the podcast today, Head of Sports Science at Atlanta United, Andy Gard. Andy, how are you? I'm great, Ben. I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. No problem at all, mate. I've been stalking you for a while, trying to get you to come on, lining this one up. So I appreciate you coming on. Uh, well, I appreciate you being flexible and uh, yeah, it's a real pleasure to be on such a, a prestigious podcast. So thank you. No problem at all, mate. Andy, we always start in the same place on the podcast and that's about you, your background. Uh, I've just mentioned your current role, but can you take us back? Can you give us a little bit of backstory on yourself? Yeah, for, for sure. Um, going back a little bit now, but uh, I guess from the academic side, it, it started uh way way back in Durham in the northeast of England um with my undergraduate degree where I was kind of on quite a broad broad sport broad sports science course and was, was exposed to a lot of lot of different kind of facets to, to sport performance and as well as the cultural cultural side as well which I thought was a great start and, and really kind of set me up for my pathway and guiding me where I wanted to go with my career you're not really sure at the start of uni so it was the perfect place to start really and was exposed to a lot of cool different things um eventually kind of led me down the, the physiology route, um, exercise physiology with, with through my dissertation, my, my supervisors there. Um, and ultimately then I went on to present with some some colleagues at uh, the Basie Student Conference, which was at Hull that year. Um, my supervisor then introduced me to my, to my next supervisor who I ended up doing a master's with, uh, with, with Rick Lovell at, at Hull uh, and some really great, great people, great staff and uh, a really cool group of kind of postgraduates and doctoral researchers as well. So uh, that was really, really cool. Um, and I got a really nice balance of, of kind of both the academic side there, um, but also their kind of program of applied experiences as well. So I could get some really cool um, volunteer work, part-time work on, on weekends, uh, whole city academies, Gunthorpe Centre of Excellence, um, it was actually with, with Steve Barrett, some of that, ironically. Um, so that was that was a really nice kind of uh, little partnership that we had. And thanks to Steve for, for kind of facilitating that too. So I got a really nice blend of the, the applied and practical side as, as well as the keeping my foot in the academic world as well with, with my own research. Um, and just towards the end of that, really, it was quite kind of spontaneous. But I happened to see an internship um, advertised at Celtic Football Club uh, up in Scotland and Never thought I would have any chance of kind of getting getting through that, but um, so, somehow I was uh, one of two interns selected and, and had a year with with the whole club really, mainly based with the the first team, but having a lot of really cool experience with with the reserve team at the time, and then also down at the academy, some of the the part time uh, kind of school programs as well. So an incredible year, um, having just finished my masters, but the amount of kind of 
experiences and, and things I was able to do and learn from the existing staff there and some brilliant players um, was a was a brilliant springboard and, and something I never thought I'd get a chance to do. So, uh, and then funnily enough, at the end of that, I was able to to kind of be kept on and they, they, they thought I was okay and, and kept me on in, uh, in a full-time role um, mainly with the, the elite development squad which was a newly formed kind of uh, venture that they were doing rebranding and um, evolving the reserve team so given quite a free reign from from the first team staff with that under their guidance in a, in a way but um, four or five years with a with a great group of players and staff and trying new things and re really applying my trade under the guidance of those first team sports scientists. So um, I'll be so grateful for that and had such an amazing time uh, just learning infinitely every single day and, and trying new things, um, which, yeah, was re really set me up for, for what was to come. And after, after a few years there, um, I was also able to complete an embedded PhD, which was, was even more lucky of, of me to, to really land on my feet with, with that, um, so again, having the applied and uh, academic experiences at the same time was was a huge string to my bow and something I kept myself very lucky for um, over those kind of uh, several years. So, um, and then after that, yeah, change of scenery went for about a year or so over to, to Qatar at Aspire Academy, working um, with the the players at the academy itself, um, but also doubling up as as a sports scientist and physiologist for for the Qatar Football uh, Association. Um, where it's similar groups of players who, who both work for the national play for the national team, um, as well as the the academy itself, um, which again was just such a different but an incredible experience. Um, the different types of players, obviously the culture, but the amount of uh, kind of a melting pot of staff, as I'm sure you know, they they have there, which which was a huge huge learning experience as as well, and um, not just in in the soccer and the football, but um, across. The, the staff in the athletics and the Olympic sport environment was was yeah, it's just so so unique and so special. So um very grateful for that. And then uh, all of a sudden an opportunity came over in, in the US, which which did take me by surprise, but was something I, I felt I couldn't say no to at the time. Um and it was it was a, a an offer to work with with US soccer with the, the national teams. Um but primarily with um, the the women's professional league out there, uh, the NWSL, and it was it was quite a unique and a new role uh, in what's in what was at the time a, a pretty new new league. It was only two or three years old at the time, um, but the role was to be kind of a, a sports science manager and applied sports scientist that that linked both the NWSL um, as well as um, the women's national team uh, for for US soccer. So it was a really cool but but different role, um, a little bit more managerial. Um, not so much um, kind of field-based, but involved a lot of interaction with the teams in terms of the staff they had there, um, providing educational opportunities for them, upskilling them there, and providing kind of uh, opportunities for expanding their resources and equipment, whether it's training load monitoring, wellness, wellness monitoring type of things. Um, we, we really try to, to, to boost that program and the level of support to the, to the female athletes in that league. Um, as well as, of course, the, the the national team players who were based in that league for, for the women's national team as well. So um, we did a lot of testing with the players every year. Um, as I said, lots of kind of um, education and, and um, guest speaker opportunities, those types of things. So it was really, really different, um, but also handling a lot of data. We were able to have access to a lot of data between all those 10 teams in the league 
um, and provide guidance and advice on that as well. So it was quite a unique project at the time, uh, what we had access to and, and how we can yeah, improve, improve those um, supportive standards in, in the league, um, which was really cool. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then uh, we had a new high performance director come in um, at the time and he, he really gave some, some really great structure and, and extra support and staffing to, to the, the department within US soccer. Um, and I was able to, to then go back to some of the, the men's youth national teams at the time. So working with the, the U20s and the U23s primarily um, through different Olympic and World Cup cycles, um, which again was, was very, very different to what I've been used to in a club in Scotland. Um, then working with a national team and and kind of the the, the different emphases and, and focus of, of the job with with national team players and, and how to support them. So an incredible again four four years where I, where I really developed and, and learned some some really different skills to, to what I was used to in, in previous roles. And the time at US Soccer it progressed, it evolved. I, I got time to spend um, with the, uh, the men's national team uh, in the previous year, so mainly in 2021. Um, so very grateful for those experiences as, as well. And um, after five or six years, then, then I moved over to the MLS at the start of last year, as, as I was telling you, um, into what is, again, a different role. But um, one I'm really enjoying, uh, one is different, but a, a really great, great challenge and something I love to do. So... So that's that's me to to date. Um, hopefully, not not waffled on too long. No, not at all. It's great insight. You're still involved with the national setup as well, Andy. No, no, just just solely with the MLS with with okay. Atlanta. Perfect, brill. One thing I was going to ask and, and pick out for what you're saying then, which I think would be really interesting for anyone probably going through any sort of education at any stage so far, is how have you found the balance between the applied side to what we do and academia like because i feel like certain people they struggle with the balance between the two don't they They either go too far down one and forget the other and how have you found that balance yeah i think i think in in whatever role i've been at but i've tried to keep a good a good balance as, as you say um and try to kind of keep in touch obviously when i was doing masters and, and then into the phd it was it was heavy on on the academic side and and heavy on, on the reading and literature searches and reviews. But I really do feel in my position now and where I'm at, that that was a huge help at the time. Being really immersed in some of the literature for an extended period really improved my, my kind of knowledge base and, and my confidence in, in terms of prescriptions as a practitioner and, and what I'm doing with players, but, but, but why. Always being able to explain why and have a rationale. Um, I think that's that's the key thing. And although I may not, be as quite as immersed in, in reading um, research papers as, as maybe what I was when I was doing those 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 degrees. I think it's really it's it's I think it's good to, to be able to keep a little bit of a, a track going, um, whether it's reading one or two new papers a week, but just to kind of keep the finger on the pulse on how research is involving, whether it's training load monitoring, strength training, uh, injury prevention, and injury rates, those type of things. It really underpins what we do as as kind of as practitioners. So, if you can you can keep as up to date as possible, um, to help support your athletes as best as possible, um, yeah, I, I think that's a good skill to to kind of keep going throughout in the background. Hundred percent. I think that's just a natural transition of a career, though, as well, isn't it? Like you're going to have more time that you do spend heading books, in articles, in research, and then 
obviously when you've got more applied work to be doing, then that might take a little bit of a backseat. But you'd like you say, you've got to you've got to keep things spinning, haven't you? You've got to keep all those plates spinning at the same time. Yeah, and and I think I think it will it will ne- obviously it never stops. We always say we we, we never stop learning. Um, we're, we're always striving to to get get better at what we do. And through, throughout your days or weeks across the season, the questions will come up um, in, in your own mind or or from a player or an incident that's happened uh, where you do need to to think to yourself, right? I need I need to know more about this. I'm I'm not skilled enough in this. I need to have more of more of a, a knowledge base. Um, to be able to deal with this situation or again, if it happens in the future. So I think there's always things that are going to keep you on your toes uh, and keep you asking why and, and saying, yeah, I, I do need to get a bit better or know, know more about this for the future. So um, I think it's a good mindset to have as well um, to keep asking those questions. And if you don't know certain answers, then, then, then find out why. Yeah, definitely. I find it really interesting speaking to people like yourself that have worked at national level, but also club level and some of the, the differences in roles, it was interesting speaking to um, Jack Sharkey not long ago, who's, who's just started with um, the Australian team. And he was sort of saying like, I always wondered what national team coaches did all the time. And what, how much, how did it take up so much time when they weren't have the, didn't have the players with them all the time? So you having that insight into, into both, both club and national roles, what have been, apart from the obvious of not being day-to-day with players, like what have been some of the key differences for you in in those roles? Yeah, I, I think probably as, as as Jack explained to you as well, and I I probably wasn't ready or, or fully aware of the, the, I guess the degree of, of difference between club and, and national team, and um, apart from the, the day-to-day contact, as you say, um, the the big thing initially and and some of the. Uh, the director at the time that we had, James, he was he was really good about kind of developing that within his staff and the department was was the the relationship side and the communication. So much of our time is was spent um, contacting clubs, whether it's phone calls, emails, uh, the odd message, but but trying to keep those lines of communication open. Um, in a in a U twenty national team, we could have sixty plus players on a, on our player pool, and you're trying to kind of keep your finger on the pulse for. For all of them in terms of where they're at, what their status is currently and, and how they're doing. Um, and they could be spread out anywhere in the world. Um, we have players, loads of different players in Europe, Central, South America, as, as well as the MLS. So trying to kind of manage manage all, all that pool and, and provide the right the right amount of information. So that information would, would go to our head coach. So my job was to generate as much kind of pertinent information as I could from the sports science, um, the physical preparation, as, as well as maybe the kind of the more social and, and pastoral sides as well. Mm. Um, and sort of social too, and, and what the players are like if we hadn't had them in before. But try and generate this information to, to, to get a really good picture of the players we're looking to bring in um, for their head coach, the, the type of player, the position, someone who's going to be able to mould into our style of play, but also, of course, good, good people. Um, and, and I know Alex Ferguson did a lot of research on that when, when he was when he was at Man United and and looking to find the right fit for their for their environment. It was a little bit the same in in that respect. So I think as much information as we could generate was was always going to be helpful. Um, so it was just building those relationships with with the performance directors, the the sports scientists at the club, and it was something I really enjoyed doing because uh, yes, you, you're talking about their, their players and and how they're doing in regards to, to maybe our next national team com- coming up. But you're also just, it's just organic networking as well. It was part of the job, but 
you, you get some really great friends in college through that and it leads to various opportunities in the future whether it's uh, future roles and going on club visits and you'll see them at conferences or or just on a game day uh, in the MLS now for example there's, there's so many different people you come into contact with um, it's 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 a really cool environment but really did improve my kind of organization and communication skills to to get that information we needed for our national team to, to succeed for that next camp or, or whatever it may be. Is there anything specific, you've ever said there about sort of communication skills, but is there anything specific that you feel like you've really um, progressed with from having such a reliance on communication and building relationships in that role to now stepping into the back into the day-to-day with players? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a cliche kind of in a way, isn't it? Like communication is key in whatever kind of field or uh, sector of work that you're in. Um, and it, yeah, I think I think it still is, is, is hugely applicable in the club now as it was in the national team um, with, within our high performance department or all the different departments within the training ground. We need to be in close communication with the medical staff, with the technical coaching staff. Mm. groundsman chef kit man all of these types of people like you need to have good communication skills to make sure everyone's on the same page and things don't slip through the cracks which again ultimately filters into supporting the player the individual as well as the team because mm. if something breaks down and someone's not aware of something then it can affect the players and our subsequent process um in, in training or, or or whatever it is that week so um i've definitely tried to double down on on making sure my my communication as good as I could and the information that I generate or come across, whether it's through the data I collect or, or just a conversation with a player. Um, if that, if that is relevant to, to other people and, and making sure, sure they know, they know it. Um, and it's ultimately again, to, to protect the player and, and making sure they're in a good status and, and we're supporting them as best we can with our resources. So um, I think the other thing I'd say is that, when I joined the club right now, I, w- I was new. And many of the club have been there for, for for a long time already. So I I made a real point just to kind of get to know people and, and whether what that was within the, the kind of the, the football or soccer department, but other parts of the training ground, just go and introduce yourself and say hi, tell them what you do, where just get get to know them because you might need to, to, to liaise with them at some point in the future on the business side um, for whatever reason. But generate those conversations, get to know people, build those relationships. And it, and it helps with, with kind of decision-making a lot, a lot, a lot more in the future. It makes it easier if you have those, those bonds already. Um, but, but make any effort, um, ask probing questions, just, just be inquisitive. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that's how it's kind of transferred to me a little bit more in this, this current role back in a club. It's really interesting to think that it's, that's such a, basic skill that we should all possess but it's still skipped by a lot of people isn't it the fact that just go and speak to people and you never know what that relationship like you say there's numerous different roles that you'll interact with every single day isn't there that will impact players and your role you're only going to be able to create those relationships from actually going and speaking to those people exactly and 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 uh, you've said it there if it was a player um just 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 building building that that kind of rapport with them is only going to be beneficial with them in the future. They may be a little bit standoffish at first. It's a new member of staff. They're, they're kind of fi- maybe figuring you out a little bit. But if you show a genuine interest, and, and that's what I want to do, I want to know about them, wh- where they're from, um, where they've been, do, do some kind of back- background on them research. But 
try and find some 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 like um, themes that or common common interests even, and yeah. um, to to kind of get get on their level, get on their page a little bit. But yes, build that rapport, um, and then that will hopefully down the line will will make it easier when you're trying to implement certain things in regards to their performance. Um, and, and yeah, ultimately helping them on the pitch to be a better athlete and, and hopefully injury free. Um, so I think it starts at that very basic personal level. And as the trust grows, we we hopefully are able to to have that that really cool working relationship over time. Yeah, brilliant. And it, going obviously having the experience with with the national team, you're going to have a, a definitely had a bit of an insight into this. But working in the MLS as well. Speaking with a few people that we've had in the podcast before, there's definitely some unique challenges that come across in that league, isn't there? So can you talk us through some of yeah. your experiences of some of those? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I when I first moved to the US, I, I definitely underestimated the, the extent of the geography and the size of the country. Yeah. Um, flying northwest to southeast, six-plus-hour flights just wasn't comprehensible to me before before I moved over there I'd, I'd been on vacation offshore um, but I didn't quite understand that domestic travel could be that long within the same country so um, that's obviously the big thing um, so yeah. it's a regular air travel um, potentially crossing three time zones um, whether it's east to west or, or west to east um, there's, there's a lot of factors to, to be involved or in terms of my my planning and within within the staff and um, uh, my colleague Ryan in sports science, Jack, Jack, and, and Ricky too. There's there's a lot of things we need to account for. Um, so the travel is obviously a big piece. Um, being able to deal with weather and the most extreme weather you've, you've seen in different parts of the country. <clears throat> and obviously, we're we're a summer league. We play through the summer, so we, we do get some cold times at the start and the end of the year. But we're a lot a lot of the time we're dealing with kind of high heat and humidity and, and having to kind of formulate really good strategies to, to deal with that and support players uh, preparation um their, their kind of physical outputs and, and energy levels during games as as is pretty common and then obviously their rec the recovery side of it too uh, and the amount they're expending in, in these hot humid environments may be exacerbated compared to a more temperate uh, ambient atmosphere so those are some of the big things um and it related a little bit to the national team environment as well. We, we'd have a lot more kind of long haul travel with the national team. So I found I, I was generating a lot of good experience with um, managing kind of flight plans um, working with the, the, the team administrator to, to um, figure out kind of player travel plans um, wherever they're based, going from their home environment to, to wherever we're meeting for, for that camp or, or competition. Um, dealing with experts to help with that. So how can we we manage the training plan on arrival? Um, probably a little bit more with a national team this is, but um, does definitely lend itself to, to um, the MLS environment too. So what are we thinking in terms of um, light, dark exposure, post-travel, um, dealing with different sleep-wake cycles? Um, when are we planning the training on arrival? Uh, is it appropriate in relation to where we've just traveled from? Um, are we on a, a multiple road trip where we're going to two or three different cities across the US, multiple time zones? And mm. are we training at the appropriate times? Are we allowing enough time for appropriate sleep? Um, possibly for players to get sleep extension to repay, uh, repay sleep debt. If it's been a uh, an evening game, we're, we're traveling back home again at 11 p.m. at night, not getting home till four or five in the morning back in Atlanta, for example. 
Um, so how does that have implications for our kind of planning and periodization after that? So I think the big things are, are those those kind of sleep, the travel and the environmental con considerations. Um, for, for me, as, as, the, as a sports scientist, I always need to have them in, in my mind. So when we're planning the training and, and periodizing the training with the coaches, um, there is this kind of layer of context every every week, depending on who we're playing. Um, but these these contextual elements that need to be kind of superimposed on top of our training plan to make sure we're not pushing the guys too hard during the week because of the travel we have at the end, the, the conditions we're expecting, um, even the quality of opposition. Um, the MLS is a very competitive league regardless, but is it, is it a team who a team we're playing who have a particularly physical style of playing and pressing us? And do we need to account for that in, in our kind of week-by-week week, um, uh, planning and prescription? So every week is, is really, really different. Um, but the kind of the, the travel and the environmental sides are perhaps a little bit more extreme to, to what we've been, I, I was used to maybe previously in Europe. And with that travel as well, Andy, I can't remember who it was, I spoke to possibly Johnny Northeast. He was talking around the restrictions around commercial and private flying. Are there still regulations like that in place? We're pretty lucky still, to be fair. We, we, we're still on, on these charter flights or, or have been up till, till last year anyway. So, um, yeah, ch charter flights to, to our away games does make it a little bit easier. Um, in terms of the, the amount of equipment we travel, um, the, the hydration and the nutrition kind of support we're able to provide the players on flights to ensure they're getting that, that kind of quick recovery in the, in a couple hour window after the game especially if we're in a dense period, which is just kind of a, another another facet to consider. Um, so we have more control over that. And the players have a little bit more space to be able to, to kind of stretch out as best as they can um, within reason and, and try and get some of that, that important sleep and, and quality rest uh, between games um, and any other modalities that we can bring on the planes um, to, to kind of facilitate that recovery as well. So um, we're, we're pretty fortunate in that respect. Um, but in terms of travel fatigue itself, that's that's hard to combat. So we always need to be to be mindful of that in the subsequent days after those trips and, and how we're managing the players, how they're responding and, and how they're recovering. It's going to be a big year for our online community. We've already had so many members signing up recently and so much content to come in 2023 as well on top of the incredible content that's already available on there. We've had sign-ups from Israel, Scotland, the US, Hong Kong, Ireland, Australia, Brazil, Wales, Portugal, so many different countries represented. And there's such a big opportunity to connect with practitioners from right around the world. So if you've not already claimed your free month over on the community, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, register there. It'll give you 30 days free so you can see exactly what it's all about. After that 30-day free trial, it is only £4.99 per month going forward. There's loads of great content on there that you could already get through and loads more coming this year, including all presentations from our events and some really exciting webinars to come as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there and get your free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Andy Gard. 
can't remember who it was recently that posted a graphic of some of the travel in the, in the MLS. And here we are over in the UK complaining about a, a two-hour two-hour journey, same time zone, back back before before tea. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's it's a bit different. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, the other area is obviously with working um in the MLS, you're going to have players with different backgrounds, different experience levels, especially in terms of sports science as well, in terms of exposure. So how have you found that? Like, how have you found working with players with all different sorts of experiences? Yeah, I think that's a great, great question, Ben. And again, maybe something I was slightly naive to, um, even having been in the US for a little while before I joined the MLS. Um, yeah, maybe I wasn't quite as... Um, aware of the extent of um, how I guess how how varied the roster compositions can be and and the, the makeup of the squads and obviously um, foreign players are, is is a common thing in, in in football throughout the world now. But so for example, there's a, there's a lot of uh, Spanish speaking players within within the MLS and and we have quite a few within our team as well. So this immediately was a was a new challenge to me. Um, I had already started learning a little bit of Spanish prior to prior to the role, but this really kind of accelerated me in, in trying to to develop my language skills, both both reading and and conversational, because it's it's massive, um, and and I'm realizing now how big that is. Because making the effort on on my part to to try and and, and be able to speak the same language, and and they learn English too, of course, but but for me, be able to to speak some basic elementary Spanish to to them as well, I think is I, I hope it's appreciated because it does build those relationships, as I, as I alluded to before. Um, but by making the effort and, and just getting those initial touch points and, and building building that rapport, so um, trying to trying to make make the effort to, to to have some of that 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 conversation in 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 their their own language is is a big thing, I think. Um, but it, it helps to understand from my point of view, where they've come from as, as well. Like what, what was their previous club or what was their their, their background growing up and, and how have they been exposed to, to sports science from, from my end and what's their experience of that? What do they like to do um, from a pre-training routine perspective, um, their strength training, uh, injury prevention, nutrition, all, all these types of things. I think is, I definitely underestimated that at the start, but now I'm realizing it, it, it really has to be a bit of a compromise. Um, my role is obviously to provide some kind of education in these perspective, these aspects to, to make sure they're on the optimal program for them and, and their position and, and their current training status. But um, can I get a really good understanding of what they're exposed to before uh, in terms of a physical preparation philosophy? Um, is it a different methodology that they work to um, wherever uh, the club or, or the country they've come to before? Um, and how can I kind of make that balance or, or compromise to, to integrate some of the things that they are used to and things that they they are they are liked they like to do as well, um, but also kind of bleed in and, and drip in a, a few new little things um, to that I believe will, will benefit their performance on the field, while making sure that I explain that to them as well. Like, have you, have you tried this? We'll, we'll try microdosing a little bit of this in um, once or twice a week, and um, but this always explaining why why it's going to help them. Um, perform for the coach and, and do well and, and hopefully help the team succeed. So there's always a rationale, whether it is scientific or maybe a little bit more um, in, in layman's terms, but, but ultimately saying, this is how I want to help you and but I'm understanding of where you've come from and uh, and what you're used to uh, in terms of your training methodologies. 
Is that that is where your methodologies have to be so flexible and adaptable, isn't it? Because when you've got your squad of however many it is, um, you've got say you've got twenty odd players, you've got twenty or so different experiences, haven't you, and different personality types, and so one one way of working isn't necessarily going to work for all players. How do you find getting around them all, though, Andy? Because you've got obviously such a big group. Um, relatively to deal with and when you're trying to apply that in essentially an individual pro- approach for each player how have you found that yeah it's it's a good shout um and I, and I think one of the ways we've gone about it with with us is we're we're fortunate to have a, a really good group of staff in, in the high performance department between the, the medics and and the, the performance sciences the sports sciences as well um between between us all, some to different extents, we all have some sort of basic grasp of Spanish. But two or three of the guys have have a, are either fluent from from uh, their their home, from where they're from, or they can speak Spanish, Portuguese, or a combination of both. So that's a huge help to us. So we do use um, our performance coach and our fitness coach, um, Ricky and Jack, are, are fantastic at building those relationships. By able to to kind of um, communicate them a, a lot more effectively. Um, so in that respect, we we do maybe break that player down into smaller, more manageable groups. Yeah. Uh, between our between our staff in the department and making sure that they're getting kind of getting the attention they need and deserve. Um, whereas in preseason, where you've got thirty to forty players right now, it is it, it's it's difficult as as the the kind of roster takes shape. We have some some academy players coming coming in, but I think we really, we do a really good job of kind of distributing our resources to. To the different subgroups and making sure that they're they're on the, the right channel, the right path with their programming and their physical preparation, um, and 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 it works really really well. But I think to your first point just then as well, it does it does push you and it does make you a little bit more flexible as a as a sports scientist and a, and a practitioner because there is no one size fits all. Like we, it's it's not just my way or the highway. We have to be open to trying new things as well on our end. It's it's a two way street. So we, we try and build that reciprocal relationship by, as I say, bleeding in some of the stuff that, that I believe in or I've seen work before or, or there's, there's a scientific rationale to, but also making sure that we're factoring stuff that they like to do, um, especially if it's like a senior pro and they've been around around football for, for many years. Like they, they know their bodies and we have to understand that um, things that they've done in their routine for many, many years in the MLS or across the across world football, like, um, we need to be open and understanding and flexible to all of that. Um, and I think that makes us better and more well-rounded um, and not being so focused on, on one way or one methodology, but being open to, to various different ones. And that will help in, in the future as well. I think that speaking to senior players is really, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because one, because a lot, at, well, especially a few years ago, they might not have had so much sports science experience because it probably wasn't around when they started or very little of anyway. Um, but also, you look at how robust some of the players are and how many games they've played without that support. And we we believe as sports scientists that you need all this to, to make it through all these games, which obviously there's a, there's a real rationale behind that. But I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from how they've recovered how they've gone game to game and actually made it through X amount of games throughout their career, isn't it? So I think a lot of it is like what you talked about, asking questions and finding out maybe the approaches that they've taken and, and using your ears more than your mouth sometimes, isn't it? 
Yeah, 100%. And they're, they're more experienced than me in, 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 this, in that respect. So I, I need to learn from them and, and probably be asking them more questions mm. um, in terms of, say, for, for example, in the MLS, like uh, what, what does it take to be successful? What do you need to, to, to withstand these 40, 50 games across the season with multiple dense periods, midweek, mid-week games? How have, you, how have you found success or um, how have you supported yourself over the last several seasons uh, and what have you found that works or what doesn't work? And it could be anything, again, with, with the, the SNC-related stuff, the travel, um, some of the pro, um, kind of the planning of the trip um, and uh, with the, the team administrators. And how can we all share that information? Because you are probably more experienced than me in this respect. So I, you, you tell me. Um, let's, let's be reciprocal in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. A big area we talk about a lot, Andy, is, is collecting data and then what we do with that data and what data we even go about using and what we disregard. So in your experiences, what have you found to be most impactful? But And you can obviously talk from club scenario and then national team scenario as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's, there's so much data around now. Um, I think the, I kind of prefix the, the topic by saying, like, make, make sure what, 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 what you collect or what I collect, I, I, I need to make sure it's impactful. If it's not having an impact and, and benefiting the individual player or, or the team itself and, and the coach and um, what we're providing the coach um, then maybe we need to have another look at w- what we're collecting and, and why we're doing it um, so if we're more streamlined and intentional in that respect then it's going to have a lot more beneficial impact on the on on the team and and um, and its individuals within it so I think that's I'd always prefix that um, at the start of this kind of topic of conversation but very different I would well, pretty different between national team and, and, and the club um, uh, being remote with, with as part of the national team staff we having built those relationships we talked about we the idea is that we we are hopefully able to collate as much information as we can from from the team's home environment whether it's training load data over the previous several weeks um, any wellness data they may collect current gym programs and, and progression thereon um, if we're if we're lifting in, in national team camp as well just to try and keep that continuity um, the same with injury prevention and corrective programs they may be on um, derived from any testing and screening they do within their, their home team um, and then also obviously medical history will come into it with with the medical uh, department that we had um, and then probably lastly the nutritional side as well obviously really important uh, dietary preferences uh, allergies, um, any particularly supplementation regimens they may be on that we can continue supporting the national team. The idea there was was to to again arm ourselves with as much relevant information as we can to support that player coming in. So making that transition from uh, club to national team environment as seamless as possible um, by being as prepared as we can. So we know this player has a has a really high training status. He's been playing regularly for his team. Um, no injuries in uh, in training or no no issues, but coming in, in in a really good training status. So that's ideal, obviously, for us. And when we're in a national team and we have a, a fully fit and and highly functioning uh, team to select from for the coach, but there may be the odd odd opportunity or, or scenario where a player has recently come back from injury. So his training status, his chronic load exposure may, may be a little bit lower. Um, he's still perhaps in a phase return to certain kind of match play exposure in terms of minutes so but the coach still wants to bring him in because he's an important part of our, our pool our player pool um so in that respect uh, we've gathered the information um and then our 
our whole performance team, coaches as well, are able to kind of formulate a, a plan to, to kind of gradually integrate them, maybe a little bit more modified in terms of what they're doing post-travel as well. You've got to factor that in too, but making sure what we're exposing them to is appropriate, um, but also the, 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 um, the data we collect on camp can support that too. So obviously we're collecting a lot of training load data as as, as many, many people are, whether it's the, the GPS, the heart rate related stuff, um, subjective training load measures. Um, but we also would do a kind of a daily screen as well, like a, a musculoskeletal screen. So they'd obviously fill out their typical subjective wellness questionnaires. We had a really um, great app that they could just fill out on their phones as soon as they woke up just to see how they're responding to the previous day's travel or the previous day's training game, whatever it was. Um, but then we then tried to marry that with some objective data of, of the screening, whether it was um, hip internal rotation, um, neuromuscular fatigue through, a, through an adductor squeeze. Um, we did some hamstring flexibility. Um, this information was then kind of instantly fed back to the, the whole um, performance department. Uh, and this would inform whether it was a kind of a traffic light system. Is it a red flag? Do we need a conversation here with a player or, or does it need an intervention and, and, and a bit more kind of um, uh, work for that player to get them right for training or, or, or the game, whatever it was that day. So there was a really cool process of, of taking information, but we really acted on it as a department to make sure the player was happy and they were tolerating things okay. Um, and they were, fully available for, for the coach to, to choose from for, for, for that day um, and the same thing happened on the back end of the camp as well like we've obviously asked for um, a good amount of information from the teams to, to help us understand their players current state uh, as they approached or arrived into to national team camp but it goes the same way with the, with the data that we will collect we'd obviously generate a, a kind of a formal report to send back to the performance team of the club Um which then helped them kind of reintegrate the player back into the, uh, the club environment. Sorry. Um, so again, it's a, it's a reciprocal, it's a, it's a two way exchange. Um, and it's to help support their athlete as well. Like it's the club's asset that could be worth X amount of money or in now or in the future. So um, it's our, it's doing our due diligence um, and our, and our duty to um, support their athlete and their assets, um, but return them safely to, to that environment. So, um, a lot of the time it was maybe more recovery based um, kind of uh, mindset that we were in and because um, it was often a lot of games and the training kind of load or uh, the frequency of training may be a little bit lower um, in national team compared to to the club but um, the, the kind of the mindset was was often recovery and making sure that their their freshness and is there and available for the coach Um as opposed to the, the club environment where it is a little bit different and we are trying to get some adaptation um, and, and kind of target certain areas or um, periods where we want to, to overload players in certain ways on certain days, um, depending on our kind of periodization philosophy and proximity to the game, their kind of their training status as well. So it's there is fatigue management as well, but it's, it's obviously that we're trying to produce um, fit, robust, strong players as well. Um, over the course of the season from pre-season and um, going into the in-season. So the, the focus is maybe a little bit different and the type of data we collect maybe a little bit a little bit different in a way, um, but it's always underpinning what we do. We're, we're evaluating daily, not just once a week, or it's, it's daily and um, tracking longitudinally to see how players are trending um, in terms of kind of 
acute chronic type um, frameworks and, and things like that. So it's a constant monitoring process between all our staff. Um, and I think that's really important to do. It's, it's day-to-day, it's week-to-week changes, as well as the, the, the longer, more longitudinal time periods to see how they're tolerating and are, are we identifying any trends in their training loads? Are we supporting it with some fatigue monitoring with for some of the valve equipment, for example? Um, what can we do to enhance our fingerprint for that player? I think that's what we're really trying to do is understand every player's nuances, trends and, and rhythms uh, at an individual level and all these different types of data, objective, subjective, whatever it, whatever it is, is helping us to understand each individual better and how we then manage them better um, to also be available um, as best as possible for those 50 games we're going to experience this year. So um, slightly different kind of mindsets, um, I think, but always coming back to the fact that is it having impact and is it helping our players and, and us being successful on the, on the field? Yeah, it comes back to what we were talking about before, doesn't it, about managing the individual. From from seeing both sides, Andy, and being in sort of both camps, has there been any main changes that you've made in terms of presenting that data? So from club to national team, but from you seeing the national team side as well, has there been any key changes from how you actually present that to national team now, or is it is it pretty similar? Um, I'd, I'd say it's similar, um, but I think... I do try and with with the national team. I always try to present as best as picture best as picture as possible at the start or prior to camps, just to to really let the the coaching staff know um, what kind of state the players are, are coming in as, and and that could that that might have just been on a phone call or even a Zoom call at the, at the time, um, without providing kind of specific reports um, of of where they're at. But again, just just relaying that information. Um, I would say they were probably a little bit more visual before. Um, we were pretty heavy on some of the kind of the Power BI visualizations before, um, specific to the goalkeepers and, and the goalkeeper coach. Um, <clears throat> the, the spread of kind of outputs we're getting in the specific drills, common drills that we do and how it's different for different positional groups and um, whether certain supplementary condition conditioning should be kind of spawned off the back of that, um, as well as kind of um, overall camp loads and we could be on national team camp from, from anywhere from a week to six weeks so we're, we're dealing with, with slightly different scenarios in that respect um, but with the with um, the, the club staff currently it's it's probably a little bit more um, of a, a data and, and numbers presentation colour codes different thresholds for certain players um, in relation to their match match maximums and, and match play outputs so there's, there's a little difference there in terms of the presentation, but I would say the metrics are very, very similar, very streamlined, very succinct, reliable, um, and manageable. So I, I'd say it's in terms of the the types of metrics we're using, they are they are pretty similar. Brilliant, great information, there, mate. That's absolutely flown by. Um, <clears throat> I want to move on to some of the the quick fire questions that we wrap the podcast up with. The first right, yep. being, who are some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, it's a good question. I'd, um, I think I'd, I'd really go back to, to, to my time in, in Scotland initially. Uh, I think I, I kind of referenced some of the, the, the first team staff there at the time. Um, Kenny McMillan was, was head of department there at the time and was, was hugely experienced 
both in Scotland and in, in, in the Premier League um, previously or prior to that. So um, I really kind of, uh, in a short space of time with, with him, I mean, you, you're learning something every day when, when we were with, with him in the department and his his academic background as, as well. So it was almost a, a similar kind of pathway a, a little bit. Um, who, who got his PhD, had a, had a really solid um scientific understanding of of applied science in, in football in particular um and i just learned so much from him in terms of the um the, the periodization the, the the training aspect the planning um how we're going to elicit certain adaptations with different training designs um the, uh, that was on the field but in the gym as well um, in terms of strength training for soccer players and then supported by his his first team colleague at the time bill styles was they were they were just huge in terms of what they were able to impart to me, both having been very experienced already in, in several different clubs and bringing different kind of emphasis of expertise um, with Bill with the, the kind of the strength and conditioning and the rehab side and, and Kenny with the kind of the, the planning and the, the, the scientific side as well. Were, they were just massive to me and, and I will never forget that. And it still underpins a lot of what I do now um, and, and the mindsets and how they think. So. They, they were huge to me um, and, and still are. And I think the other person I would, I would mention is, as well, or two people are, are from my academic side. So from, from the Masters, Rick Lovell and um, Neil McFarlane, when I was doing my PhD in Glasgow, were just really, really powerful um, in terms of my understanding of um, synthesizing, criticizing and, and interpreting scientific literature, but in relation to my applied role as well. Um, I, I still have that in the back of my mind now. So I think those guys from, from the applied and, and the academic side were uh, really helped to make me kind of quite well-rounded now, uh, hopefully, I would hope. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I would like to think that the, the various roles I've had, um, this is the way I kind of like, like to put it, is that, they're all quite different. They're all quite diverse with different populations, different parts of the world and, and different different kind of focuses of, of the job. So I, I think all those different things have helped to make me quite quite well-rounded um, in terms of the, the experiences I've had and, and bringing them to, to the role I'm in now. Um, so I think it's my, I hope it's my ability to synthesize different types of information, uh, draw on uh, all the different, reams of data or streams that we, we have or we collect as well as having the different conversations but um, addressing those pertinent things and then just kind of amalgamating it in one to help make decisions on either an individual or a team um, but being able to um, bring them to the coach uh, the head of medical the, the director of performance whoever it is um, but attend to those different different types of information we're bringing in and making sure the most relevant ones are being acted upon for every player so whether it is a nutritional focus um, S&C programs they, they should be on or or um, injury prevention programs, um, their training week ahead and, and utilising our training load data to inform that. I think just bringing it all into one um, and, and kind of marrying that, I, I hope, is is kind of a, a skill that I've, I've developed over time and, and can bring to, to whatever role I'm in. Awesome, mate. What would you, I always like this question, if you were to speak to Andy from a few years ago, Back in um, university days, even, what would be your top bit of career advice for yourself? I think, I think, and I, I do think about this from time to time. I, I wish I'd exposed myself to to a broader variety of, of sporting 
well, not even just sporting, but like even even kind of business or different different business environments, but particularly sport with with the, the field we're in, like go go out and go and speak to people, practitioners from from different sports at different levels. I think that's important as well. Um, from from grassroots all the way up to the elite level, if if you can have access to those things, um, really really ex- throw yourself in there and experience different methods of training. Uh, speed training, strength training, or just team sport training in general. And um, the more you can expose yourself to those different things and, and coaching philosophies, um, I think that puts you in such a good, um, in good stead for for a career ahead. Um, and as we said earlier, kind of being open to to different things, but being adaptable for when you come across different situations in future careers, you have those experiences already to draw on. Uh, sports with different energy demands. Um, physical demands you are able to draw on all these different things and formulate a plan and um, to whatever role you're in so I, I think that I think just exposing yourself to those different sporting environments and coaching philosophies as, as much as you can and, and that time allows you yeah I love that answer and you've got a number of books behind you there so I'm going to ask around um, CPD we've talked about applied um the, the time where we're focusing a little bit more on the applied side and the, the academic side what's your approach to cpd now continually developing yourself as a practitioner what's your approach right now yeah obviously it's it's common and it, it's i think it's really good practice the way i look at it for myself anyway is is just always kind of questioning like how can i get better what, what am i missing um obviously that's probably dependent a bit on the role that you're in Mm-hmm. um because you should then be able to to utilize that hopefully instantaneously in in, in the role you're in but i i look at it from from that perspective and what am i in charge of or what's my remit now uh and, and where do i maybe lack in certain areas or where can i get better and i think that directs where where i look for certain cpd things whether it is um reading academic literature and papers and stuff like that or or maybe um a webinar as the world is now with, with different webinars, even reaching out to someone. And I think that's um, something I, I tried to push on more within the national team was if there was a question I couldn't answer, I needed help with, um, I would research or through a friend, find out who, who are the experts in that area. And can I, can I drop them a message, request a phone call or, 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 or a zoom or something like that, but um, have that quality time with a, with a real expert and, um, because those are the people we want to learn. They've done the research perhaps themselves. So um, those are the kind of the, to the ways I look at it to direct some of my CPD and, and again, hopefully just keep making me better. Um, it never ends, but that, that's the way I look at it. I think that's a great point. It's one, one thing I think people don't utilise enough, isn't it? Because when you would like to have a conversation with, with whoever it is in whatever topic, the worst they can say is no or ignore the message so i think it's always worth doing isn't it and i feel like this, that's probably not done enough yeah i mean and, and whatever it is whether it's requesting a conversation like that or or you need help with something else you don't ask you don't get yeah and, and if, if 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 the answer is no or, or there is no response then 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 keep persisting like this this is for your benefit and your athletes benefit so be, be persistent within reason um and, and be respectful but um yeah there's just reach out to people and, and even even doing things like this itself and I having a conversation, it's just good fun and, and it's so informal and you'll always pick up something. Um, I said to you just before as well, like whether it's a conference, a podcast you're listening to or, or something like that, 
if you if you can pick up one one small thing, uh, one gem that's going to help you can you can then transfer to your practice in your environment, then it's worth it for for me. So um, I think that's a good mindset to have as well. Yeah, hundred percent. The seamless link to that is where if people want to reach out to you, if they might have questions or they might want to get into a conversation around anything you've discussed today, where would you send them? Uh, I'd probably send them to LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm pretty good at check, checking my LinkedIn and, and, and kind of interacting with people on there. Uh, I have a Twitter as well. I don't use that too much, but um, yeah, I'd probably say LinkedIn. Perfect, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Andy. It was great to chat. I think we've got some really cool stuff there. So I really appreciate you giving up your time and coming on. Brilliant. Well, I really appreciate you having me on, Ben. And uh, yeah, thanks. thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Andy. I certainly did. And a big thank you to him for coming on and giving up his time for the podcast. Go and check him out. You can search for him on LinkedIn. Just search his name on LinkedIn. Um, connect with him on there. You can also search Guard Andy on Twitter and Andy G10 over on Instagram as well. I think there was loads of great stuff in this episode and loads of great takeaways. I think one of the early ones that jumped out was explaining your why, having your rationale behind everything that you do is really important. And that then shows we talked about the balance between applied and academic. That's where that comes into play because we need that academic side. We need that knowledge um, to put things in place, develop our methodologies and our philosophies and have that rationale behind everything that we do. Relationships and communications. Again, this, this always comes up in every single podcast. And I don't apologize for that because I, I think it's so, so important. I think that's why people bring it up all the time is because it's so crucial. But another part of that is what Andy touched on in terms of it's a really key skill, developing his toolbox, getting out into an environment where a lot of players are Spanish speaking. You might be in an environment where they, they speak a different language. That really tests you as a practitioner. Not only do you have to meet new players from different cultures, different backgrounds, but you also have to develop, potentially learn their language as well. So some really great tools being developed by Andy in that role as well. And then the other side of it is CPD. Andy spoke about analysing where to improve and I love this because I think a lot of people, they'll search for what courses are available and what CPD opportunities are available, whereas it should probably start internally, have a look at areas you need to develop and then go from there. If it's a certain area that you feel like you're, um, you need to develop as a practitioner, start at that point and then start searching for opportunities around that area where you can feel like you can really progress and develop because I think that's a really, really good way of going about it. And that ana uh, the analysis that has to take place at that time is probably something that a lot of practitioners don't do and what we probably should do. So um, I think that's a really key takeaway as well. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, make sure you give it a share, tag in some people that you think will benefit from the episode and also go and support our sponsors as well. Go and check out all the amazing work that Hydro are doing and also Rezzle doing some brilliant work in VR training in sport. And big, big thank you for listening. Go and leave us a review if you've not done so already and I will speak to you again next week in episode 222.